So hey everybody, welcome to episode 22 of the More Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And Mark Rubin is in San Jose, California. Hey everybody. So uh, there's been a couple of interesting uh, developments in, um, I guess, some people releasing some numbers. Uh, Marco Arment um, is one, and Monument Valley is another. And I think that the guy who produces Dash has, has um, posted some information. But I think what, what sort of rounded out the conversation was, again, a post by Marco Arment on his uh, um, blog, marco.org, um, talking about his overcast revenue numbers. And I think Aaron wants to uh, jump in and say something about that. I guess. But, you know, we keep sending traffic to this Marco kid. He's going to become oh, famous whatever. one day, I think. Well, it's, it's good for Marco, as we all <laughs> it, like it to is, say, right? It is good for Marco to have traffic from our <laughs> podcast. I hope his servers can handle it. Listen, <laughs> Marco, don't blame us, okay? <laughs> don't yeah, send me exactly. an email. Um, okay. So... I, he starts off, nobody ever wants to talk about money. And uh, that's not true. I always want to talk about money. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It's just that nobody wants to share their numbers. And I'm thrilled about this latest burst of activity in this topic. And so seeing um, Marco sharing his numbers for Overcast uh, was really gratifying. I'll start, I'll start off by saying that um, I when I started reading this article, I came to it from the perspective of someone who is looking to know what I think of as the top performing indie developer could stand to earn making an iOS app. Sort of like a, mm-hmm. to frame the discussion, if you will. Marco um, has the benefit of a lot of experience as a developer. Um, he's got a great track record of making quality apps. He's very well known, uh, at least in our community. Um, mm-hmm. And he's making an app that is in broad distribution. A lot of people listen to podcasts, and a lot of people are his potential customer uh, who are iOS users. So when I look at uh, Overcast, I think of an app that uh, could potentially be a really great earner. And if I'm thinking of myself as an independent iOS developer, um, I got to think of Marco as one of the the top um, prospects, if you will, in in our league, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports metaphor. So I, here I am reading this article, and I'm looking at his numbers, and let's just get them out there. He has 318,000 total downloads. Oh, 319. Um, 46,940 in-app purchases. And his in-app purchase for Overcast is a $5, right? $4.99? Uh, to so unlock like that, yeah. everything, right? So the idea is that um, you pay the money, and then you unlock the special features that make Overcast. Overcast, basically. Um, yeah. Uh, smart speed and the uh, the uh, what was the other one uh, voice something is you know with the voice boost I think thank you Deb with the hair right. so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it, it is significant to say too that that he's that's fourteen percent of his downloads are, are in app purchases which I think is pretty pretty high uh, based on my experience oh yeah sure it, I mean it's a good number and his revenues yeah. are good numbers. So he made $164,134 total revenue, and that's after revenue, Mm -hmm. uh, Apple's 30%, um, but before any of his his taxes, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. In the first month, 85K. Now, going outside of that, I mean, obviously, he went into, you know, 
uh, normal territory, if you want to call it that, <laughs> uh, after that first month of launch. And so his average monthly revenue, $15,600. So mm-hmm. um, what do you guys think of that? That's great. I mean, if that's if that's what he's that that's sustainable like for just about anybody. I think in terms of if you were able to get you know fifteen thousand per month, that's that's actually quite quite a good uh, living. I, I mean, I, I I wouldn't be driving a Lamborghini. I don't think he is either. But but still, well, it, actually, it, it he's got certainly make you comfortable, right? Yachts and helicopters um, from his <laughs> his uh, Tumblr stock, I'm sure. But um, oh, okay, well, yeah. So he's already doing okay. I don't know that he. Uh, you know, is, is happy to be making this money, no doubt. But um, anyway, well, uh, it, it actually I mean, it depends Mark, on, on yeah. how much time he's putting in now on this, right? If if he did a whole bunch of work up front and now he's spending, you know, 10 hours a week maintaining things, then this is fantastic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it's if he's working on it full time and doing nothing else, then, you know, then it's, it's pretty good. It's not it's not amazing, but it's pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I meant as a working income, that would be a decent amount of money to be making. But right. um, just so, so coming back to what we talked about at the top of the, this topic, it was the fact that we were talking about Marco Arment, and who's obviously you know got reputation, and, and I didn't realize about the yachts and the, the Tumblr stock and whatever. So he already <laughs> came into this. Well, no, I mean, he already came into this with with uh, a reputation. So it, you know, there's sort of a, you know, is he the Tom Hanks of of iOS development? I mean, is that part of part of the reason why his app was able to do as well as it does and because people like us keep promoting him you know through through conversation you know i mean that's a lot of a lot of what what marketing happen does is is you know i tell two friends and you tell two friends and so on and so on as as the old expression goes right so is is part of his success based on the fact of who he is he disputes and, and that. what he's done before. So you, you I know he disputes it. Uh, he tweeted yeah. to that effect, and he's, he's said as much on previous podcasts going back, you know, um, yeah. through various other uh, podcasts that he's been on. And um, mm-hmm. it's not just his opinion. You know, you talk to other developers. Like I think of, of Dan Jalkett, um, mm-hmm. who's also got a podcast, Core Intuition, and who is also a fairly well-known guy and making a living mm-hmm. off his Mars Edit app. And right. uh, like them, uh, Marco uh, would say that's, you know, the, the audience that you've built up and the uh, attention that you get in the marketplace only wins you that first month of sales, which, right, which right. was a blockbuster month, you know, obviously 85K. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, when you go down to your regular whatever 15K a month, he says that it's that's not because of who he is. That's because of his app. And, you know, that that's po- possible. But I tend to think that his fame, if, if you will call it that, um, mm-hmm. won him that original set of some, well, I could do the math here, but, you know, he's had 318,000 total downloads. A large percentage of that happened in the first month. And those people became, you know, responsible for the marketing of his app as well going forward yeah right? the champions yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would i would prefer to call i would prefer to call it reputation as opposed to fame because i mean yeah not, he's not enough. he's not uh paris hilton he's he's mark warman he's he's <laughs> you know he's has a reputation as a as a pundit in our industry and and a producer of good apps right he's, so. he's well known and the things that he does and yeah. says um are heard by many more people than those that listen to us for example sure uh, that's not yeah. jealousy that's just that's cold hard fact um yeah so 
I, I would propose that his fame does help him. Sorry, I said it again. <laughs> it's a shorter word. Uh, okay. His reputation yeah. helps him and his audience helps him. If, if, if he's inclined to, um, to downplay that, that's fine. That's fine for Marco. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. why we say it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good for Marco. But again, but yeah, the, he has he has definitely has has fame within. I think this is what you were saying, Tim, as well within the community. But does that really yeah. extend outside to the to the larger app purchasing audience? I, I kind of doubt it. Well, no, but it, what I'm what I'm saying is that that you know a lot of a lot of the apps out there that have that have gotten buzz over over the you know the Flappy Birds and and the Angry Birds and all that kind of stuff have gotten a lot of reputation or sorry a lot of um, sales or, or downloads have been based on you know other people telling you know their friends about this this app that they got whether it's like at a party or in a social event or at work or the office. You know, and eventually that spreads. I mean, a lot like in the case of Flappy Birds, a lot of it happened because the high school kids got a hold of it, right? Yep. And and all of a sudden, you know, it's just sort of. Sp- I mean, that's how Facebook started too. I mean, it was sort of the colleges, you know, started telling. My, my niece told me about Facebook when she started at, at university, you know, and and that's how I found out about yeah, it back yeah. in the day, right? So so, so those mm-hmm. are two examples, and I'll add another one, Yik Yak, and I'll add an even fourth one, uh, WhatsApp, that did this mm-hmm. completely without any rock star developer behind it. Right, right. Right. So, yeah. so I do think I do agree that that uh, having someone with a big name will help with the initial exposure in yeah, say the initial launch. Sure. Yeah, the blogging community. The you know you go to some of the bigger websites; they're much more likely to talk about an app if they know the person, uh, as opposed to mm-hmm. just something that that is put out there with 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 no kind of fanfare at all. Uh, so I, I agree that will contribute potentially uh, to the initial sales through sort of a an avalanche effect of, you know, whatever the, the bigger sites are talking about, those are the ones that the even bigger sites are going to start talking about. And and then that gets a name out there as well. Yes. Right. I think it all helps. It's, it's a big deal to have a lot of people use your app on day one or month one. And going on from that, you know, all those people that have used it can influence additional people. But now, having have said all that, app. it wouldn't exactly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying yeah. that yeah. it's got to be a good app, or it's or it's not going to be worthwhile. And yeah. and Overcast is a good app. It's a very good app. Right. right. So I know he deserves everything that he's got here, and I'm happy for him. And this is mm-hmm. great. Um, my point in talking about this um, has nothing to do with. Um, how, you know, whether he has done well or not, you know, and that it's great. My, my, I think the thing that, that draws me to this, this article is the fact that as I started by saying, this is top tier indie developer earnings. All right. So let's address that. Let's address that. This is, uh, that if you're an indie developer, um, the, the most you can make is $15,000 say. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right, right. Well, because there's also the also the the numbers that and Marco links about, links to it on the same blog, um, which we'll put in the show notes, is the 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 guy who produced Dash, which we think I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, so that was somebody's pick, right? Um, I think it was yours, Tim. <laughs> uh, Maybe not. Yeah, you're right. It was. Yeah, no, you're right. It was me. Duh. I didn't download it. I just I just talked about it. But yeah, so I mean, he he also produced produces his numbers for 2014 to show what. Uh, what kind of stuff he's doing. I don't know if he necessarily spells it out quite as clearly as Marco does. He's got some nice charts and graphics. The and charts things, are very but, nice, uh, actually. This is the first time I'm looking at but, this. Well, I, I do remember we talked about this in a couple of chat groups I was in, um, and that, you know, he's, he's, I think 
six figures or five figures is what he's bringing in monthly or uh, on a regular basis. So he's doing okay. But I mean, but again, it's another another case where it's a really good app and and it, and it fits a, a huge niche. Um, you know, from the point of view, this is the one that that supports uh, offline documentation for you know, and and it fixes what Apple broke in the in the Xcode documentation, but it also supports other languages documentation, and you can you know download it to your device and then and have at it. And I think it's a Mac app as well. As yeah, Mac app. and iOS. In fact, like looking right. at um, this this uh, article, uh, this is mm-hmm. actually this invalidates everything I was thinking earlier. So <laughs> hooray for us! Okay. Um, it right. looks like he's. I don't know what the average is, but he's definitely uh, making considerably more than $15,000 a month mm-hmm. um, in between his Mac App Store and uh, direct sales and iOS right. App Store, I guess. Um, but but as, as indie developers, these guys are outliers, though, right? I mean, they're not they're not part of what we consider the norm as an independent developer, right? Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. So, but that's, I mean, so the, that's so not these, the point, this Tim. This is the high bar. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. the high bar. Well, you know, let, let me qual- let's qualify the statement a little bit. Sure. Um, and this this okay. poten- uh, potentially is the high bar for a top tier indie developer doing a podcasting app, right? Right. I, I think mm-hmm. I think the numbers will scale greatly. If if you were writing the same article about a hot game, the numbers would probably be a factor of ten higher. Yeah, yeah, true. So really? yeah, so oh, let's yeah. Call, mm-hmm. yeah, we got let's keep the you know apples to apples. Well, I was actually I was actually, no I had actually switched over to talking about talking about the Dash app, which is which is a which is a guy who's making even more money. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, yeah. I just but, clicked on the link. And, well, yeah. There you go. I'm yeah, much this is, it's a much, you know, yeah. it's a much more, it's a productivity app, but it's it's more likely to be in the neighborhood of something that a lot of people would use because it's it's a, a good utility tool, and, and a lot of people talk about it in, in our business again, not necessarily for podcasting, but for more for production productivity app, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which which is music to I, my ears, really, because I love productivity apps and <laughs> seeing that they can do well. This is such a great story because uh, Dash is great software and mm-hmm, we come mm-hmm. right back to it you know the the if we can all just believe that great software is what it takes to be successful then i can spring out of bed in the morning and here's two examples yeah, yeah oh, no, i i I, th- I definitely think that that uh that if your work is good and compelling it it will win the day for you Aaron. i do i do believe that you know i'd like to believe it yeah we all like to believe it here's evidence yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, there's also, and it also comes back to that whole, the, the point about the, the circle that you run in. Um, you know, I, I was talking to some people this week, you know, who are in the sort of a higher level of, of potential business development, if you will. Um, and there were people at the table that I've, that I've, you know, I've heard about these mythical characters like the money man and that kind of stuff, but I've never actually been in the room with one before. And it's a completely different dialogue, you know, in terms of what happens. So I think that, you know, and there's more, uh, you know, when you, when you hang, when you talk to successful people who are doing, running successful businesses, and I've had the privilege of doing that through uh, another membership that I belong to, but, you know, never been able to reach that, that brass ring, if you will, but, but, but talk to people who have, and who've managed to make successful businesses for themselves. Um, it's inspiring and, and, you know, you, you get, you, you can get you can sort of see some of the little things that they did along the way that that actually maybe you didn't think about doing which were which are you know uh, helpful to the cause right such as so I, well, such as well one of the things obviously is 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 forming a team around yourself to to 
you know, hand to, so you can delegate off responsibilities that you're not necessarily good at. Like for instance, I, I'm good at accounting. I like accounting, but I'm, I suck at it when it comes to time management, right? So I, it takes me a long time to do what my actual accountant can do for me. So I, you know, I spend, you know, several hundred dollars a month on this guy and I don't worry about that kind of stuff. And, and it, you know, things get taken care of without my having to worry about them. Right. Yeah. That's know, I just a big have deal. to follow up on one or two. Yeah. So it's helpful. I mean, I was losing a day and a half worth product productivity working on accounting. Well, why? You know, that my, my time and effort is better spent doing something, doing, uh, doing, working on what I'm uniquely skilled at. Right. So, and that's kind of, that's, that's one, one small example of, of, uh, of a thing. Another, another one is using, um, some, uh, forms and things like that to work on strategies and do positive, positive affirmations on the work you've done. Cause a lot of times you go through a work, a week, work week or a work day and you think, geez, I didn't get anything done. But if you sit down and actually account for what you did get done, you'll actually see that you actually did make progress. Right. And these kind of little things, um, you know, they re-energize you, right? They build your confidence and building confidence, you know, as they say, uh, increases your clarity and your ability, ability to continue on with, with the mission, which is, you know, getting out of bed and making a decent living at things, you know, or having a successful app or a product or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, the thing about these articles that, that give their numbers is that you're only going to do it if your results are good, right? Or really bad and you're just pissed off. <laughs> I've seen some of those too. Um, yeah, I, I, this is, I think I've made this point a few times before that, that I, I, there's, there's a lot of, and we've talked about this many, many times that, that there's this big uproar in the, in the pundit community that, that, uh, you can't be an indie developer cause you can't make a living or whatever. And, and, and I, I, I think it's, it's, there's some selection bias that the people who are talking about it are the people who are in that boat and the people who aren't just aren't talking about it so much. So there's right. a, yeah. there's a, um, a, a sense when you read a lot of articles that things are a lot worse than maybe they really are. You know, when, when the discussions happened on Twitter around these articles, there have been people, other indie developers who have chimed in and said, I'm doing okay. You know, like they're, you know, you, you, I'm not famous like Marco, uh, but, uh, I'm making a good living and, you know, it's with an app that you've never heard of, you know, I guess, you know, you keep coming back to it. There's hundreds of millions of iOS users out there. And so there's a lot of room for a lot of people to make their livings from it. Um, you just got to find your place in it. You know, one of the examples of the bad is, is Jared Sinclair's on red, uh, expose, if you will, when he, he released his own numbers, which were actually, they weren't terrible. Uh, they just weren't what he was hoping for and, uh, decided to shut it down. Right. But so I don't know. Um, I, I think uh, overall it's it's a good news story for independent developers. I think if uh, you you make a good app, <laughs> then you can win and be successful. Um, and I think that's all there is to it. It's just um, you know Gus Mueller of uh, uh, Flying Meat Software years ago. I mean we've been talking about this for a long time, but years ago said you know when when faced with complaints that they can't make it in the app store, his response was. You know, how, how, do, how do you know that your app doesn't just suck? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. 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 So. So I, I want to hear what the fly on the wall in Seattle has to say about this because he hasn't said much. Yeah, I'm kind of taking it all in. I think a lot of the same opinions I, I share there. I'd be kind of curious to see here as I'm looking at these charts from Marco where certain events happen because that was pretty useful on the Monument Valley charts that I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because... Uh, while I do generally agree that yes, you know, 
you know, Overcast had a huge first month, which is obviously related to all the podcasts that you know, Marco's friends with and talked with and, and, and sure. other, you know, nice, good quality things. And then the, the quality of the app kind of helped keep, um, as you can see, the, the in-app purchase numbers, I think, relatively stable. But I would take, I would take a little bit of a different tact on like, oh yeah, you see it, it's, it's not related to, um, you know, reputation because mm -hmm. if you look at that enormous, enormous spike in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is that based on the way that the app store works? What does that help? Well, that helps maintain the fact that you are at the top of the chart because there aren't right. that many podcast players to begin with. There, there's a fair amount of competition. Don't get me wrong. But in that, in that category, and in, you know, whenever you look at these charts, like if you're at the top, it's way easier to stay at the top because you're much more discoverable. Right. Right. And I think if I look at certain things like, um, on the second chart, I could see a spike where people are getting new devices, new iOS devices. And then I can see where Christmas happens. There's a couple of spikes that I can't really explain, but knowing that folks like uh, John Gruber of Daring Fireball and Jim Dalrymple from the loop and a couple other pretty well known folks could have influenced those spikes as well. Right. Like it's, it's pretty obvious that to me that the, the December 15th through you know, early January 15, 2015 is pretty obviously because this was at the top of the app store for, on some chart somewhere and possibly even on, like on the best of list. So I think it's a little right. disingenuous to say, Oh, well, no, it doesn't have to do with my reputation. No, it, 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 it helped. Like, don't, don't, it, we, we shouldn't be like, Oh, well it's cause it's Marco. I have no chance and blah, blah, blah. Like we shouldn't look at it negatively, but we shouldn't be dismissive of the, the obvious impact that it has. And it's a good positive impact. Well, as an analogy, I can totally give give you an idea. We we talk obviously about our our own uh, show and how well it's doing, and it's doing pretty well. We're we're growing, you know, listeners every every month, and thanks to the new people who who've listened to us over the last little while. Um, my last tweet that I talked about the show, the uh, the one where I talked about Swift Ready Not Here It Comes, um, it quite, got quite a bit of exposure. I was showing Aaron some of the numbers the other day. Um, if I look at the analytics on Twitter and, and there was a number of other retweets based on the same subject matter and they, they did fairly well too. I mean, so we had well over a thousand, uh, Twitter feeds that are, are my little tweet went into. So, and that certainly has helped, you know, gain more audience. So again, welcome to those listeners. But I also, as you know, work with a couple of high profile clients. And so sometimes I'll, I'll be, you know, working, uh, not that I necessarily get paid for, but I just, I, I like to sponsor all my friends. So if you guys have anything you, you guys want to put out there, I will certainly retweet them as you may know, have already noticed. But so, you know, I have a, a, a client that I work with who, who regular tweets stuff. And, and sometimes I tweet things that, that uh, he may be interested in. And when he retweets what I tweet, right, my tweets jump from a mere, you know, couple of hundred, maybe 50 to a hundred to 34,000 exposures. Wow. Right. So that's, that's what I'm, that, that I'm not saying that Marco gets 34,000 uh, things, but when somebody has a lot of followers and already, and, and they put out a statement, whether it's positive or negative, or somebody else mentions it, it has quite a bit of traction. And I mean, even if you think about it, if 34, if I tweet, if let's, let's imagine for a minute that, that my, my buddy would retweet one of my more than just code podcasts to 34 and we got 34,000 exposures. I would expect to get more listeners. Totally. A lot more listeners mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. we're doing by ourselves. Right. Yeah. So, it, well, I think the, our own history as a podcast and our listenership, um, is a much more realistic example of what you get 
developer, a regular indie developer, right? There's no mm-hmm. spike when we launched, right? <laughs> we launched no, with, no. with yeah. three listeners, and one of them was my mom. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you're lucky. My mom doesn't even know I have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Actually, I, I was just joking there. It took weeks before I, my mom knew about it. Um, yep. But then, you know, we're growing very slowly and very organically, but we've done sure. around 22 now. And, you know, do we have, like, over a thousand regular listeners? Is that what my understanding is? Something like that anyway. But the whole point is, like, you, if you've got something that people care about, you will succeed if you keep at it, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. This, is, yeah. this is the message that I think every independent developer needs to understand. Unless you're famous already or you've got some kind of, um, you know, connection to a big name, a large audience, etc., you get out the gate and you're going to be nothing. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. you can you can grow and you can improve. And if you stick with it and your stuff is good, you'll succeed. You know, where yeah. did Marco yeah. start from? You know, he started from zero. So, you know, you know, I, I 100% agree. But I'll also say that that's true for pretty much anything. Got nothing to do with being Absolutely. an indie, indie developer. Yeah, but we only have indie developers listening to us. So I'm, I'm talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you're right. Of course, you're right. I mean, that's, right. you know, everything. Yeah. everything well and it comes back to like we've been saying all along it's it's not a matter of and i think everybody should realize this too it's not a matter of just putting an app on the app store and, and you know the business will come you literally have to get out there and and promote the app i mean you're going to get the organic stuff off the off the the get-go and and if you're lucky enough to have apple feature you or or you know talk to apple's marketing and get them to feature you that does help and and you know when you get featured uh, you will see a spike. You know, you'll see initial. You'll see the initial jump up when you first launch. I, I, I talked to a lot of developers. You know, who put out apps and they're they're initially excited because you get that. You know, the buzz for the, the week or two that your app launches and gets noticed as as a new app, and then and then it kind of tails off, and then you're just sort of scrambling along. In fact, you should almost not even look at the first two weeks of, of your app launch if you want to see how your app's doing over time, right? So Yeah, for sure. And then you can do things like, you know, updates help, you know, update your app, you know, up, refresh your icon, put in some new features. Those things will help your app gain more traction, more more people. And and but you you really have to get behind it and market it and tweet about it and get your, you know, get people promoting it to to really sort of get it going. And that's, you know, we've been promoting our little podcast here and and our our work is paying off and and we're getting more people to to check us out right yeah and it's a matter of just being you know telling people about your what you're doing or what your work whether it's an app or you know a website or what have you right so a new book you're working on people will help you people that's that's how that's i think that's the secret to success is is having other people recommend your product to them to other people to their friends and so on, because we can't all afford to to pay for the kind of money that that uh, you know the Clash of Clans are paying for those TV commercials they make, right? You know? That's true. But you know I what mean, helps is, is people you know telling other folks about us. Because it's a little meta here, and also you know writing reviews in iTunes is like incredibly helpful. I've seen a couple other podcasts get uh, kind of start where we are and get also pretty successful because they had dedicated fans that went out and and did just that little bit, just like a couple of minutes to take time to write a, a review. And so that helps. Yeah, because uh, helps people, other people, people find do, us. People, yeah. Well, uh, from my experience on on apps, and Mark, I've talked about this before. Um, you know, we've had well, one one particular app. I can tell you, we've had half a million downloads, and we probably had a handful of reviews right over the time. Over time, so it's a very small percentage of people who actually take the time to review your stuff. Hopefully, it's a positive review because you know negative reviews don't help. 
But if some, if you do like a product, whether it's an app or a podcast, and and you know, we're not saying this to to have you guys write reviews for us, but please do. Um, but that's what people do. They check it out. They go, oh, what's this MTJC thing about? And they'll go over there and they'll read a positive review or accidental podcast or, you know, core intuition or whatever, or release notes, whatever it happens to be. You go over to the site, you check out the site, you see what other people are saying about it. Maybe you'll ask your friends on Twitter, hey, what's this <laughs> podcast about? You know, um, I've had comments from people saying, hey, I didn't even know you had a podcast and, and I just subscribed. And that's been happening over the last couple of weeks, right? So mm-hmm. it's all good. Do you like more than just code how- podcasts? Go write a review. I love it. Do you not like it? <laughs> Send a tweet to at MTJC underscore podcast on Twitter. <laughs> well, we've, had, we've actually had a few people write some comments on, on the website in the last couple of uh, couple of weeks, too. And that, that's helpful because that opens a dialogue with us, right? So, mm-hmm. And, yeah, certainly reach out to any of us on Twitter, of course. But that, that, that's true of any product. That's what my point is, right? It's not just about, about you know, trying to get, our, get our, our numbers up or whatever, but it's about, it's about that. This is a product. We're, we're producing a product here, more than just code podcast, right? And you know, as indie developers, we want this to be successful as well. So I had an interesting conversation the other day with a guy from a high-end development shop uh, because I have a couple of quotes that I'm working on that require um, big budget approaches. And... Uh, I reached out to a group of developers that I run with and I'd forgotten that he was a member. He pinged me back and I sort of said, oh, I hadn't even thought about you guys, right? Because, like, you know, that's like the top dog or one of the top dogs, right? Um, unless you guys know any about any other top dog shops out there that I don't know about. Go on. No. <laughs> anyway, so what, what was interesting was he was talking, so he talked to me a lot about how, how, um, how they, you know, how they could augment either, you know, supplement my staff or I could, you know, uh, I just hand it off to them and take a referral or their their pricing model is a monthly monthly cost per developer so if you want two or three developers like a couple of developers and a product manager or what developer and a product manager i sort of said to him after i thought about it a while i sent him back a ping later on saying like what do you do when you have a customer that's indecisive you know like most of my a lot of my clients you know they'll work on something i'll i'll do some code i'll send it back to them they'll go back to their committees and decide on you know whether the icon should be blue or teal, you know, kind of thing, right? And they'll debate that for a week before they come back to me with a change. And, you know, I'm, and Mark, Mark and I know we worked on, on, on that big app for pretty much uh, almost a full year at least, right, Mark, before, before we launched it? Yeah, it was a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a lot, a lot of that was, you know, Mark and I would go away and work on stuff, and then we would, we would you know, merge our code and then send, send them a build, and then it would two or three days before we heard back sort of thing sometimes right and, and because they're doing other things right and so i sort of said to how do you deal with that and he sort of said well it's just we're on the clock and the clock is running you know but it, it, interesting from the point of view of how a shop would work as opposed to you know as opposed to just by the hour or by the project you know kind of thing right because i don't know how you guys quote jobs but when you when you quote stuff on project you're kind of always sort of um you're always estimating and you're putting a bit of buffer in there to sort of cover off your time, you know? Yeah. Well, in their case, I think they've got to be talking about um, dealing with really big companies, right? Like for four to eight developers or, you know, staff, then they're dedicated to that job, right? Yeah, yeah. And, would like, think and they'll have they're, staff they're... internally that is dedicated to this job. Yeah, yeah. But I charge by uh, the hour. Do you? Well, like, see, see, here's the thing. I... I I calculate my prices based on hourly work or, you know, even the rolling in Mark's work. If Mark's working with me, I'll I'll use his sort of numbers, but I don't ever try to reveal the hourly cost to the client. I don't want to be commoditized, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and that's the danger in any any small business. When you become commoditized, then you're just like, you might as well be selling, you know, 
about a bag of screws, you know. Well, but I think people are smarter than that. I, I think they recognize that not every developer is the same, and the only difference is their hourly rate, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's, that would be a very naive position. Not that some people well, don't take it, but <laughs> yeah. Well, it, what's interesting too on the other side on the other side of that coin is is uh, as well as you know trying to reaching out to to fill the the, the positions for these two projects I got going. Um, I've gotten a lot of um, individual developers and some studios come back to me with with stuff, and and generally the rates are all all within the same sort of uh, range per hour sort of thing. So. Yeah, this this current uh, this current gig that I'm doing now has actually been pretty eye opening uh, along these lines. Uh, it seems to me that um, first of all, that rate that is is asking is not at all unreasonable, uh, right. and. Uh, is kind of exactly what other people are are asking um, mm, for mm-hmm, for doing mm-hmm. even less less work at times. So so um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not shocked by that in the least. And I'm also finding that uh, generally the uh, shops do charge by a, a fixed time period as opposed to an hourly thing. You know, you know they're charged by the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing that. I mean, without question, that's what's happening. Um, this company uses a lot of contractors, and I started out doing it hourly because that's how I just normally work. And they sort of yeah. quickly said, well, can we just, you know, switch you over to a fixed rate and name your fixed rate? And, and I did. And right. fixed rate and per day or fixed per rate per month, job? Per month. Per month. Yep. Okay. Yep. Oh, really? Yep. Wow. Okay. Yep. So, so let me ask you though, what does it, I mean, we kind of know what Aaron's work like, work days like, cause he's kind of explaining, you know, he shows up at his desk at nine and works till five and then that's it. Right? Yeah. So are you putting in an eight hour day or oh, absolutely. We, I'm putting in, yeah, I'm putting in more. Uh, I would say more than eight-hour days uh, most of the time, but that's just that's just because it's me. I don't I don't have to, right? I could get by doing a lot less than I do. Uh, but you, yeah, Tim, you know me. I mean, you know, I'm, I I work yeah. a lot, so um, there's no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, so I I put in more time just because it's me. Um, but so what? When I'm in LA, yeah, I'm down there. I go into the office around eight. And we break usually around six, um, usually because there's a whole group going across the street to get a drink, So, and I'll, and I'll go with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of times I'll go back to the hotel, I'll work a little extra if, I, if there's something I want to get done. But, but when you're working on freelance, when you're working as a sort of in a freelance mode, do you, do you put in the eight-hour days? Sort of, like when you were working for me, would you sit down at your desk and do eight hours solid, or would you work four hours here and then three hours there? Yeah, I, I tend to work four hours here, three hours there, and, you yeah. know, because, you know, I'll work into the night. Especially with you, Tim, we're, we're working in the night, so, <clears throat> you know, so, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm starting at 8 o'clock and trying to work till 10 o'clock at night or midnight, then, you know, it's yeah. not going to work. So, so I tend to yeah. break it up. Yeah. So, Aaron, how do, how do you break up your day? Like, uh, other than what I just said about the the sort of the strict discipline, are you that strictly disciplined, or 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 is it because of your family and all that kind of stuff? You yeah, it's it's that? really around their schedule. So, uh, I'll work from actually eight thirty because my daughter's in school and I've I've taken her to school and I'm back at home in front of my desk at eight thirty. So I start then, mm-hmm. um, and I break at about eleven twenty or so to pick her up from school. We have lunch. Uh, I take her back to school. I uh, come back to work. So mm-hmm. from about uh, 12.15 until 3, I pick her up from school, bring her home, and then uh, 3.30 till 5, I'm working. Um, and that, so that's my day, right? And then I work on my own projects at night. Right, right. So and you, so your, other, your, your personal stuff, you kind of crank away at that, like, you know, a couple of hours a night kind of thing? or Yeah, yeah. Depends yeah. on the day. But uh, yeah, like uh, an, an hour or two, and then weekends more. 
Mm-hmm. And what about you, Jaime? I know you're, you're in the office every day, but or is that the case? And and are you do you work on personal stuff as well, or I've, how do you break your day up? I haven't had a whole lot of time for personal stuff, so my my blog has been languishing a little bit as I think about it. <laughs> oh, um, blogs, my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when I'm in the office now, you know, salaried, it it kind of depends. You know, I, I try to keep pretty close to a forty hour work week, probably a little bit more than that, uh, just yeah. to keep myself fresh, but. Every time I go into um, trying to do some major feature or some, uh, especially when it comes time to release time, that's where I'm definitely putting in the longer days to mm-hmm. really nail this thing down. Especially when, like right now, app review times are nine hour, or sorry, nine days. So yeah. I got to make sure that thing is correct the first time through because I really can't afford to put it through again. That's nuts. So moving on, we had um, uh, Jaime posted some stuff about, uh, and he was telling us that his his uh, fiance has just come back from Taiwan and has, so, has been exposed to some interesting things about uh, about the Asian market over there. Um, and he posted something about on uh, our podcast notes about um, new mobile uh, uh, trends in UI that that uh, are a bit topsy turvy to what to what we would consider normal or best practice. So Jaime, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, so this is a, a rather lengthy and, and quite interesting blog post by uh, Dan Grover, um, who works, um, actually, I think it's a product manager at WeChat, if I'm not mistaken, which is one of the, um, the the Chinese apps that are equivalent to something like a WhatsApp, right, or a Facebook mm-hmm. Messenger, roughly, is the best equivalent. And he talked about some of the things that he's noticed as he's used the, the native apps over there. And the the thoughts on things are, are quite a bit different. So we've seen things move here in the West to be progressively um, much more single-focused, right? So we talked about even something like Facebook or Foursquare that split its apps into two to try to give mm-hmm. more dedicated experiences uh, within those apps. In general, that's kind of quite the opposite for app design over in China, where apps are becoming, you know, almost like portals into other things where they're dealing mm-hmm. with, you know, banking and lottery tickets and, you know, things that are not chat apps have chat and they have games integrated and things that are not popular over here so much like QR codes and indeterminate red badges that are on tabs that kind of just hint that you need to go look at something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're talking over here about like, well, we should probably remove the hamburger button. The hamburger button is, oh my God, that's so terrible for your analytics and people don't like it. It's kind of quite the opposite over there where they're kind of solidifying on a discover tab that's meant for all sorts of sundry items. And hmm. they're, they're really big on, I mean, we, we talk so much about Apple pay and, you know, Google wallet and all these other things. And, you know, mobile payment is much more integrated over there like much more deeply integrated into apps and, and things like, um, I can't remember if WeChat for sure, but I'll, I'll switch over, you know, to the other part of Asia in Japan line, the, um, the chat app line over in Japan, uh, beyond having like a taxi set up like an Uber type thing. And they have their own games that are integrated with the chat app. They've also started line pay. So they have their own mobile payment solution. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's kind of as if you took all of the, the conventional wisdom and all of the best practices as we know them here in the West, 
flip them on their head, and those are the best practices over in, in the East. And, and part of where it came up in terms of, you know, I, I, I'd made this, this point that, you know, wow, it, it kind of seems like Kate Upton is everywhere because I keep seeing those ads, you know, in mobile games. Um, I keep seeing them on Facebook and I keep seeing the ads on actual, even TV, like normal TV. I'm watching, you know, ESPN sports center or something. And I'll see the, mm-hmm. the game of war app where she's, you know, dressed in like some medieval kind of outfit and walking through. And I thought that was a lot. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of money they're spending. What? And, right. and then I listened <laughs> to my fiance. She's describing how over there in Taiwan, when she was there recently over the holidays, she saw, you know, not only the, all everything that I talked about, but you'll see buses completely covered with, with games, you know, just mobile only games. These are not Nintendo or Sega or Sony, Microsoft. These are, you know, the, the candy crushes equivalent in the world over there. And she described some of the games. I didn't even know what they were. They're, they're definitely Chinese only games. And right, right. she described, and she has a, a video that I'll have to see if I can get for her, maybe share where they're going from, you know, one level of the, I don't know if it was the mall or like the subway or something, but they're on a escalator going down. And this escalator ride was long enough that she had enough time to notice that there was all of this banner, like this huge long strip banner going down the side of the walls in between the escalator, you know, the up and down escalator and on the other side of the wall, enough time to take the phone, realize that, take the phone out of her pocket, find on, on an Android phone, find the, video and then take another 10 to 15 second video showing me this enormous banner for a mobile app. Wow. And I mean, this, the, the level of advertisement over there is like at a completely different level. And, and the, the whole notion of like, you know, maybe trying not to oversell and all these other things is like completely different than it is here. Like it just it seems that they're just trying to cram everything into every app. Right. So, they're, they're trying to build dynasties over there. Like, you know, WeChat, something that is basically unheard of in the North America, is massive over there. I was just seeing something the other day where they've, they've got the ability to order food in WeChat. So you go to a restaurant, you sit down, you want some dumplings. Here, open up WeChat. Here's the menu. You know, pay for it because they've got a wallet integrated in there too. With, wow. uh, you know, every app. You know, in this, this uh, article that, that Jaime linked to, uh, has this as well. Like you can have all these different apps and they all have mobile payment components to them. Mm-hmm. Um, just so that you can buy stuff from within the app. It's hilarious. Like there are no rules. That's, that's the thing is that in North America, we're all stuck on making sure everything <laughs> is, you know, proper and works correctly and is safe. And, and of course we've got all of these, uh, these, you know, entrenched interests that are that are stopping progress in so many ways you know people like the carriers and you know existing banks and financial institutions that don't want stuff like this to happen um so apple pay is going to come out in north america and be nice and orderly uh with mm-hmm. with carefully tailored rollouts but in in china you know it's the wild west you know the wild east <laughs> it's going crazy over there so it's kind of interesting so i'm looking at the, one of the the ones that really sticks out to me, which is China Merchants Bank. And, you know, you have things you can kind of expect a banking app to do, like, you know, let's say topping up your phone plan. That's a natural integration with a bank, right? It's, it's pretty easy to understand. Uh, booking travel and movie tickets. 
okay, I can kind of see that. All right, all right, all right. I'm still going to have to use money, and that's kind of related to a bank. The one that is crazy for a, a Westerner such as myself is lottery tickets. Oh, yeah. Why can Why you not? buy lottery tickets from your banking app? Because you can make money, Harvey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense when you look at it that way, but it's just so culturally like, wow, that, I, I would not have expected that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was going to say one of my battery, one of my picks was an app called Battery, which I, I was a little hesitant to, to mention it at first. And I was actually hesitant to install it once I, once I, I saw that it was actually, it's actually from a Chinese publisher. And, you know, over here, we're, we're leery of that kind of stuff. And, but one of the things I didn't talk about in the app is they have this, you know, they've got the status of your battery and charge and memory and, and you know, ability to clear up memory and get rid of app memory that's not being used. But they've, the, the fifth tab over here is market, and it's like a little mini iTunes store right in the app. Oh my you know, God. And they recommend they recommend apps, and you know, and they've got like the little the, the short short banners, and they're, I'm always getting notices from from the app, you know, saying or you know, here's like a must have category, you know, with typical stuff in it, and it, and it's just I, I look at this and I, I I thought it was really cheesy when I first saw it, and I, I you know I wouldn't necessarily go into something here, but you know I you know. It, it's just I, I can see how that like why would you put this sort of and it's not a simple little couple of things listed. There's probably there's hundreds and hundreds of apps listed on this one tab. Isn't this in you know, contravention of the uh, app store rules? You can't have another store inside your app. Well, right? I, I don't necessarily. No, I'm not saying this is a store. I think I, I would I would think that these are probably using uh, mechanisms like the the iTunes Affinity account where you. You click on something and then you get sent over to to the affinity program and you know then they they probably fire you off. Let me try, I'll click on one just to see what happens. Uh, let's see, free. Yeah, it fires me off to an app store sheet on on iTunes, right? And yeah, so now so now it's it's just, it's I'm still in the app, but I've I, it's loaded up a store sheet for this particular particular app, right? So so mm-hmm. that's not in contravention of of the rules, but. Uh, Interesting, interesting use of, uh, but it's like, it's like they put way more effort. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if every single app that this particular publisher has has this market tab in it. Oh, you know? almost certainly, in, yeah, yeah. And in keeping with, and the other day I actually got a, a, a message from somebody in it, and it was all written in Chinese. Like you know, so I deleted it because I couldn't read it. But, <laughs> but you know, so so it's you know, obviously it's something that's happening as a more of a trend over there, right? So. It bodes well for our, for our two life app, which has got all kinds of stuff in it. Similar similar idea. Hmm. Hmm. You should do a Chinese curiouser localization. and curiouser. <laughs> well, we did do a Chinese localization, and we're actually we're um, our two our three biggest languages are our sorry second biggest language is Chinese. So you, English is is the number one, and then our markets are United States, Canada, and China in that order, and then the rest are all small wedges on the pie, right? So. Mm-hmm. And part of the yeah. reason I even brought this up is I think it. It works pretty well with something like what we're trying to do as indie developers and that there are other markets out there beyond just, you know, even the traditional Western ones. Right. Um, And as we mentioned before, in, in the Moneyball episode, like there are market inefficiencies out there where beyond just, oh, like localization, meaning take my my current app as designed with a Western eye add in the localization strings to change it to Russian or Chinese or Hungarian. Um, maybe he's taking a step back and thinking about, well, what does that market expect and what can I do to, to compete? And I'll give a pretty good example where here, um, Amazon is everything, right. As, as far as, uh, e-commerce goes, um, over in Japan, they're 
hardly even a name. It's it's all about Rakuten over there. And part of that is because Rakuten is meeting the Japanese consumer's needs, and Amazon is not. Amazon, Amazon is designing things as a Westerner. <laughs> Outside of the U.S., they don't care, and I guess the U.K. But, yeah, that's not surprising mm-hmm. at all. You know, but how, how can a Westerner uh, truly get the mindset of someone in China to design an app that would compete there? That seems uh, mm-hmm. like a, a really tall order. Indeed. I don't think it's necessarily for everybody, and it probably would take some, some research and possibly some networking to, to really yep. get that information. So, yep. so, Aaron, are you saying there's yet another app store? <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> well, I was going to say that my, my uh, stepson used to run an English as a second language school, and a lot of their students came from Japan and China. And, uh, and this is, you know, going back 10 years ago. I mean, they, they were around the time of SARS and all that kind of stuff. And I remember him, because you know, back in the day, we were all using Blackberries and Nokias and all that kind of stuff. It was long before the iPhone came along. And the phones that these kids had were just amazing. Some of the, some of the features they had, and the things that that we're doing in, over in in Asia that we hadn't even you know even begun to think about. Right, so very very different market for sure. Oh, check this out! Yet another AppStore.com available for twelve ninety nine on Hover. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I better register that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did register the other app store, by the way, you know. <laughs> oh, you didn't. Oh, yes, you did. I'm sure you did. <laughs> sure. I'm a, I'm a, I get them pretty cheap. Yeah, the other app store.com. Oh, no, somebody else registered. There you go. Is... Oh, no, I did register it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it, and it redirects to the mod, more than just code podcast. So there you go. <laughs> Collecting an idea like for <laughs> I got that idea from Conan O'Brien. It, it's, it's a funny thing. He mentioned once on a show about 10 years ago that every time they mention a uh, website as a joke on his show, NBC had to go and register it. That was kind of the broadcast rules, right? So I stole that idea. Sorry. So um, not only, you know, we know the economy in China in particular is exploding, right? That things are happening so quickly over there. Like look at a company like Xiaomi, right? Um, mm-hmm. which just like you hadn't heard of even a year ago, I don't think they, they are China's one of China's largest, uh, cell phone makers. So they, in fact, they make all kinds of consumer products, but they make, uh, phones and tablets and electronics. Uh, now they also make air pur- purifiers, um, hmm. and, uh, humidifiers and things for the home. Um, they're very popular, and what they do is, uh, historically, what they've done is when they release a phone, which looks suspiciously like something out of Cupertino, they uh, mm-hmm. make it in limited quantity and release it uh, to mass appeal, but only, say, a million people get one, because that's mm. all they make. Um, and they've been accused of copying Apple's designs, and fairly, I think, but over just the last year they have begun developing their own designs they hired hugo Berra from google um who's one of the android product developers uh to come over and, and help them and fix that whole reputation with their design issues there's talk of them coming into the north american market uh i don't know how serious it is uh but they're they've gone from nothing to being one of china's largest uh phone manufacturers to being an electronics company that that could have a larger presence worldwide uh, within the next couple years, um, which is a huge story. 
And so even these apps that, that Jaime's uh, been showing us with this article, um, you know, it's, it's a massive amount of foment out there trying different things, cramming things into apps where it doesn't feel like it belongs. They're just, they're trying things, you know, like, like what Facebook's, um, you know, sort of message is uh, move fast and break things. Uh, that's, there's a whole country out there of a billion people doing that. And uh, it's amazing to see. And, you know, those of us uh, sitting here in very relatively quiet North America watching this happen is, is mind-boggling. Just mind-boggling. Indeed. And I'll throw a, a bone to our Android friends out there. So we talked about Xiaomi, like, literally ripping off things from Apple, like even their CEO trying to look like Steve Jobs with the, oh, yeah, the, the turtle, black turtleneck and the sweater and the one more thing a bit. Um, but recently, uh, I, I'm sure we could all agree that the the Note name is something I associate with Samsung, oh, right? Yes, Samsung's Galaxy Note. Yep. Now, Xiaomi has a phablet that is called the Mi Note. Curious. Yeah, very curious. So it's kind of shameless in the, in the copying and, and, and writing the coattails of others, for sure. Yeah, and that's a cultural thing, right? Like, China just does not have, you know, I, I want to say the same respect for, you know, other people's ideas but that's not how it is at all like you just can't even look at it that way they just they 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 regard copying as as a the sincerest form of flattery you know like of Mm -hmm. course you're going to build on on the previous inventions of other people i mean that's that's how we grow and that's true you know like we've you know if you've ever seen the um the the video series everything's a remix um yes do you know what i'm talking about yeah i've seen that um i'll put a we should put a link in the show notes but uh this is a great series um of videos that outline how intellectual property you know in north america over the last you know centuries um has built on everything from before it um so you know i think china truly exemplifies that and you know we mock companies even like we mock samsung and and you know i have so little respect for them but maybe it's misplaced because you know when when you get right down to it we do build on everything else before um just sometimes those steps seem smaller when they're being done by these chinese companies because you can so clearly see what they're building on from before Mm -hmm. i'm going to paste this link into the show notes uh or sorry the skype chat and then you can uh add it to the show notes please um Mm -hmm. And get a sense of what I'm talking about here. This is a great video series. His name is Kirby Ferguson. Uh, so he's a filmmaker and uh, a really smart guy. So you can see what, uh, what that's all about. All right. So I guess we'll wrap it up uh, at this point and go around the table, see if anybody has any picks, if maybe Aaron's picked one out during the show. Um, Jaime, do you <laughs> have any picks? I've been too busy talking. <laughs> <laughs> Jaime, do you have any picks? I do have a pick. And it's called uh, Swap Heroes. It's a game, and it's got that uh, kind of old-school Super Nintendo pixel art going for it. And I feel like that was kind mm-hmm. of a, a nice follow-up to last week's uh, Piscal app and, and Magic of Voxel discussion mm-hmm. for my pick. And uh, it's a nifty little game. It's, you know, pretty cheap as far as games go. Um, I don't recall there being any in-app purchases, but I've played the game enough that I earned all the all the coins I needed to unlock the different characters. And the basic mm-hmm. concept is that it's... Um, it's a pretty difficult strategy game where you are given four characters. So you have kind of these archetypical characters like, you know, an archer, a thief, uh, a healer, and a, I forget what the tank is called. Mm-hmm. But 
you're on a grid and you have three of your members up front and one member in the back. And every time you swap one of the um, members of your team, like move from left to right or move from front to back, everybody on the team will trigger whatever an action is. And if they're in the front row, they'll generally, uh, you know, attack and some can attack you know, at a very short distance, but very powerful. And some from long distance, like the archer, but very weak. And then they have a special move that they do when they move from the back to the front. And the enemies that are coming along kind of have their own techniques and they're kind of marching along towards you, trying to get close to, to beat you up. And it starts out, you know, somewhat easy. Like, oh, okay. I, I beat these guys pretty easily. Not too hard. You get an mm -hmm. upgrade screen where you can, choose from some sort of randomly selected, you know, this character gets more health or this character, uh, their super move becomes more powerful, but it really ramps up in difficulty about three or four levels in. And so if you're into the whole, like thinking ahead and not just, you know, tap, 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 blowing something up, you really have to think with these ones is like, okay, well, <laughs> okay. This guy really needs to get healed. So he needs to move to the back but I kind of need his ability two turns from now to stop this, you know, this line of crabs. And I, I just dig it. I love it. It's like playing a game of chess in a mini so micro. Is this, is this like those form. old, uh, is this like those old console games where, you know, you used to take turns uh, attacking, uh, I can't think of like final fantasy or whatever. I can't remember what those games were, but my kids used to play them, but um, where you'd have, you'd have a bunch of guys standing on the, on the screen and, and one person would take a turn at, you know, shooting and then another person would take a turn at shooting. And it was like, in my opinion, very slow gameplay, but is that the kind of thing that it is? It's kind of like that, but in a much more condensed form. So it, I would say it's a lot like a final fantasy, except you don't have a ton of options. It's pretty much just swap positions of your teammates and they will all automatically do something. So you have to think about what is that automatic thing they're going to do? Right. Does that make sense? Like, okay, well, I need to move the healer from the back to the front because I need them to automatically heal everybody that's up front. But then that puts them in a place where they're going to get beat up by the huge, enormous knight with the big sword. Right. So it's more of a strategy sort of, um, what sort of thinking of it's more, it's not, you're not racing a car around a track. You're kind of thinking sort of ch like chess, like you're kind of, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Oh man. Yeah, it, so I get it's your point. Your it's, it's not a it's not yeah. a Twitch game, right? But it's yeah. fast paced yeah. at the same time. So it's the sort of thing that you could you could play a level while you're waiting in line at uh, like Target, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Wait, we don't know what that's like anymore here in Canada. <laughs> yeah, that was, now. <laughs> that was an inside joke. <laughs> Target. About what what is that? Yeah. Well, let's say why you wait for coffee store? at Tim Hortons. It's sort of that? sort of a Walmart wannabe, I think, is what it is. Must be. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's how that's how we uh, managed to sell off all of our old Zeller stores. We got Target to buy them. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, and uh, Mark, do you have a pick? I, I do not have one this week. Sorry. Do not have a pick. Okay. How irresponsible! And, uh... <laughs> I got a pick. That's it. It's the Macintosh. Oh, you have, have you heard of it? I mean, it's such a yeah. great computer. You should totally get one. Hey, you oh. know, speaking. Of, 
I was just going to say. You're going to talk about that, that that Mac from Germany, the the retrofitted oh. uh, 12. Have you looked see, at that one? Yeah. See, here's the thing. I, I I can't decide which I want more. That that yeah. computer, that beautiful rendering that was made by this German design company that looks like the front panel of a Mac Classic. Um, yeah, is it not a real product? No, it's not real. Oh, oh my god! If only sigh. It, I know. Hey, if only for real. It, I think <laughs> if I had a, a thousand electronics wait, wait a experts just went off yeah. to make uh, <laughs> that thing real. Maybe I don't know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it would be lovely yeah. though, wouldn't it? Oh, huh. I would love yeah. one of those things. I don't even know what I'd use it for. I just have it sitting on a desk in a prominent part of my house. Yeah, um, I want to see what the so carry gorgeous. bag looks like on that thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The other the other thing to talk about would be was, is actually you know maybe just as unreal uh, the twelve inch uh, MacBook Air uh, that mm-hmm. that was rumored last week uh, that yeah, is also one very port, interesting right with one with one port a USB C port yeah. Um, yeah anyone interested yeah. in that is it just me does it have a kickstand no <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> it looks no, very it exciting back to the- it harkens, it harkens back to the old uh, Power PowerBook G4 that was a 12 inch, and, and yeah, yeah, it was very, very. It was very. It had a square screen. A lot of people were into it because of the size. It was. I think it was the smallest Mac at the time, right? Other than the, uh, the if that was the just duos. before MacBooks came out. Yeah, they were the, the but, duos. Yeah, yeah, but the whole. I, I think there was a there was a, uh, a big flame up about the one port. I mean, that's the power port and the interface for everything, right? Well, you don't actually know that, right? Like we've just got a well, rumor, so yeah. like everything here is 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 shipped with a boulder of salt. But well, uh, <laughs> you know, like if if the only input is is this single port, this USB port, then then yeah, that's a problem. But you know, what yeah. if it has a magnetic inductive charging port on the bottom of it? You don't know. Ooh, um, ooh. You know, like it could sit on a table and just get charged up. I don't know, mm. but uh, mm. you know we can we can dream. It's not like Apple doesn't have that technology because it's coming out. But, but the guy the guy who spun the the rumor is uh, Mark Gurman, nine to five. Yeah, he he's generally been pretty accurate though, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got he's a very good the... track record. He's not perfect, but yeah. he's got a good track record. So um, that that's what gives it the credence. That's why everyone's talking about it. It's because it comes from a good source. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and and it's plausible too, right? I mean, we we've known Apple to uh, shockingly cut things out. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, like the from the from the floppy drive to legacy ports to the optical drive. Um, mm. So you know, and the MacBook Air name, you know, the the sort of theory that predicates the whole model line um, is you know an ultra light portable laptop, um, right. and it just so happens that the march of progress has given us a MacBook Air that is both incredibly thin and light and powerful. You know, and so mm-hmm. now it's maybe time to reset the clock on that and, you know, mm-hmm. make it a little um, compromised, I guess you might say, uh, for the sake of being incredibly thin and light, more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cool. very interesting so to me. I, I hope to see. Yeah. My pick is go look into it and see the renders and of that German one, too, which was unbelievable. You know, that German one, the, the design, the really beautiful design, you can check it out in the show notes, that harkens back to the the original mac it was kind of hilarious seeing some of the the blogosphere well not blogosphere i should say the the forumosphere the 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 folks you know responding to articles um some of them were making hilarious um digs at it like oh my gosh that bezel's too thick why don't they just go edge to edge blah 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 it's like (laughs) Mm. Because that misses wow. the point, folks. It's supposed to harken back to the old Mac. If you got rid of the yeah, bezel, yeah. it would not look like the old Mac. 
Uh, I just brought it up again. Right. Oh my god, I'm in love again. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, I thought your pick. Yeah, that's my pick. Cool. I, I, thought your, I, I thought your pick was the one port, one port to uh, Mac. Anyway, Couldn't decide. Um, code name, code named Unicorn. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So well, my my pick actually goes back to uh, I think it was. Uh, two years ago at WWDC when Anki Drive was premiered and it was actually uh, brought onto the stage before and it's these little cars that you have uh, artificial intelligence built into them and we, we managed to get uh, a set of those for Christmas for the grandkids and uh, you know they since bought and gone out and bought two more cars to have even more fun uh, but what's interesting about it is is it's not just you put the cars on the track and and, uh, and you, tilt, you tilt to drive them and you have uh, um weapons buttons and you can you know just like you know in a, in a traditional uh, mario kart kind of thing you can fire hazards at your at your opponents but they've sort of added a whole sort of gamification into the into the cars like for instance if you, you when you get two cars with the set if you buy a third car you actually have to beat that car in a race in order to be able to take control of it right so yeah. and so they've added this this whole sort of little um and then once you do that, then you can you can access all the features of that particular car. So they've added this whole sort of uh, game game sort of side to it. And what's cool about it is if you have little kids and, and you're concerned about their uh, amount of time they're spending in front of their devices, is is it's an actual you know object in the real world and gets their whole brain thinking about artificial intelligence and robotics and all that other kind of cool stuff. And it's it's lots of fun. And, and actually. I posted a few uh, videos that my my grandson's made to uh, to uh, my YouTube channel um, because he's it's just totally enamored with this thing, which is really kind of cool. So I, they they made me play it last week when I was there. So I had to you know, download the app and earn my right to, to race them and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of an interesting interesting little uh, thing. And that was uh, Anki Drive that was released at uh, WWDC I think 2013. Alrighty then, so that's it for the week. So, uh, Aaron, how can people find you on the interwebs? Using their Twitters, uh, Aaron Vay on Twitter, or on my website at, uh, well, let me think, innovative.com, I-N-N-O-V-E-G-H-T-I-V-E.com. Hi, Mia, how can people get a hold of you? At Dev of the Hair and Dev of the Hair.com. Right, and possibly we'll see you at NS North as well. Um, and Mark, how can people get a hold of you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. Oh, and before I go, I just want to uh, mention uh, my, uh, of course, I am Timitra at uh, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter. But I also want to mention, uh, uh, for those of you who are thinking about RWDevCom or maybe you're going to it, um, they just posted the full uh, schedule of speakers on the uh, RWDevCon.site, and that's happening in less than two weeks, I think. Um, so I'll see a bunch of people there, hopefully. Um, yeah, and uh, that's it. And we'll uh, post some stuff in the outro. You can always find us on the website, mtjc.fm, and on Twitter as mtjc underscore podcast. And we'll see you in the funny papers or next week. Okay, bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the app store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. 
You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. You can provide us a little as a dollar amount. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. Yeah, so like I said, um, yeah, apparently the site launches on Tuesday, and I guess they are going to have a group rate at NS North, which will be good. So Good for everybody. So you're actually thinking of coming down? or? Yeah, I'm thinking of going to that. Got to figure yeah, out the, the whole conference season coming up. I definitely would like to go to NS North, and, and it would have been handy for me because it's it, the old conference was right by the old by the train line, so I could just go down to Union Station, grab a train, and you know, spend eighty bucks and sit in comfort, comfort, and you know, arrive there in no time at all, right? Like, and, and you know, you get Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff on the train, so it's not like total time lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, if you want to fly, it's like an hour flight from Toronto to Ottawa. There's a bunch of the Air Canada flies and a bunch of smaller airlines like Porter Airlines flies down there. They fly out of the Toronto airport, which is again downtown for me, so it's easy to get to. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? The um, yeah, so this is like halfway between Quebec City or between Mon- Ottawa and Montreal, and it's at a at a I think a ski chalet, right? So mm-hmm. I love the I love the thing about getting the whole Canadian experience. I don't think half of us in Canada have had the Canadian experience by that definition. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's out, it's out, it's out in the, you know, it's out in the, the country sort of thing, you know, amongst the pine trees and, you know, I'm sure there'll be tons of snow on the ground and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, so would you fly into like Montreal or like Toronto? Do you think, Jaime, do you know, you have any idea how you would get there? I looked at both and I think the flights were about the same. So it was the yeah. distance that was the, the biggest uh, difference yeah. for me. You know, the other thing too, is there, there's a couple of international airports around Burlington, Vermont, right? And, uh. So it might be cheaper to stay in the United States as far as Air Force is concerned. That's what, I mean, that's usually what we do is we, you know, if we, if we really want to go uh, down to the States on a budget, a lot of people drive down to Buffalo or they'll drive to, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the, in the States, like to, to basically grab a flight from there. Cause it's a lot cheaper. Have you ever done that, Aaron? Oh yeah. All the time. I fly out of Buffalo all the time. And you find like, like, cause flying out of Canada, like flying out of <clears> Toronto <throat> is, is sometimes prohibitively expensive, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. um, a domestic yeah, well, flight in the states is quite inexpensive compared to an international flight. Right, right, right. Yeah, because you can always just rent a car and then drive that. Because I mean, if you if you flew to Toronto or Montreal, you're going to be driving. How did you, did you figure out how long it's going to be drive to drive to the Chateau Montebleau? Montebleau? Forty five minutes to an hour, and I can't remember out of which airport that was. <clears throat> mm, that right, must be Montreal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. I think it's sort of equidistance between the two, and and yeah, that's true because you would it would it wouldn't save you time to fly to Toronto and then fly to Ottawa because it'd be like a if there's no direct flight to Ottawa, so probably Montreal would be a better flight for you guys, or or like I said, Burlington might be a better one for people coming from the states.